This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Making tailgating parties legal, changing the provincial slogan on license plates, redesigning the province's Trillium logo. Now, we did just hear something substantive in Bob's news, but for the most part, these are the kinds of things we've been hearing that we should expect in Thursday's budget, the first from Doug Ford's government. Now, we've also heard about the fulfillment of another campaign promise, a partial rebate for childcare costs. But what is this about these strange things? You know, some would say maybe it is all just a distraction. We are expecting the finance minister to lay out a path to balancing the budget, but no word on a timeline for that. What do you think? Uh, do you think these are good things to think about? Would you rather see other things? The numbers to call 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 740 And right now, I welcome in studio Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies, and on the line, Ashton Arsenault with Crestview Strategies, and Ali Salam, a Senior Vice President of Public Affairs at National Public Relations. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for Thank having you, us. Libby. Okay. Ashton, let's start with you in Ottawa. What is your view? Is all this stuff that seems to be coming out an attempt to distract from what might be some pretty serious cuts? Well, I think in the in the political world, we would call these strategic leaks, of course. But I, there's one thing uh, that stands above all else, and it's what you alluded to in your opening, Libby. And I think that's about what the path, the balance looks like and how they're going to get there. We know the previous Ontario government left the fiscal books in fairly dire straits. Uh, the last time I checked, the provincial debt was somewhere around $315 billion, uh, and that continues to rise every day, of course. Uh, that represents close to 40% of the province's GDP. Uh, that's pretty staggering. Uh, and as of right now, Ontario is carrying more debt than at any other point in its history, uh, accounting for inflation as well. So what's that all mean? Uh, well, uh, many people feel like that isn't that big of a deal because it's this sort of nebulous number uh, which doesn't impact folks' day-to-day lives. Uh, in reality, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, like all loans, the province owes interest on its debt. In the case of Ontario, those payments add up to about $12 billion a year uh, per year. Uh, looping back to the budget, uh, that means servicing the debt is Ontario's fourth largest line item behind health care, education, and social services. That's why debt matters. So I think the Ford government, whether it'll be in their first mandate or maybe they'll push it back to their second mandate, what I'm looking for is a clear path to how this government uh, views itself as balancing the budget uh, over the next several years. And Kim Wright, do you think that means painful cuts? 
Absolutely. At the end of the day, show me your budget and I'll show you your values. So, so far it is about changing, spending money on changing license plates, which is absurd. Uh, when you have real challenges in healthcare and education, we've seen, yes, they're going to put some more money into education for children with autism. However, that's actually not net new money. What we're talking about here is uh, really some shifting around of some special education money, which ultimately many school boards over the last two decades, frankly, have been making do with a lot of that special education funding and putting it into keeping the lights on and the heating bills. So we have a whole set of things that that are frankly a bit disconcerting when we start talking about these very populist programs like opening up tailgating. And look, I'm a big fan of a good tailgate. <laughs> uh, so let's sure let's change those legislations but let's get back to what we actually care about as a as a civil society and look at this in a way that we're not uh what looks really great in a headline but actually when you start getting into the details is a bit disconcerting ali what's your view yeah i don't think the premier has been much of a wallflower when it comes to asserting his views on various areas of provincial responsibility he's certainly trying to be a jobs premier in, in the way that he's had to be um, but he's also put markers in the ground with teachers and, um, and, and you know, in very, uh, very kind of uh, strong and controversial positions there. And uh, obviously, we've seen the beginnings of a paradigm shift in healthcare as well. So I don't think that the, uh, and as Kim said, I mean, I too am a great fan of tailgating, but uh, I don't think there's going to be much distraction to be had through tailgating and license plate mottos um, when the actual budget, um, you know, is, is uh, out for us to all see. Um, quite frankly, I think that, you know, listeners like yours will certainly be paying attention to the details and how it affects their bottom line. Because at the end of the day, in Ontario, you know, people care about three things. That's jobs, education and healthcare. And so, you know, really, I think the, the focus will be on those items. Ashton, uh, is it inevitable that we're going to see some cuts to healthcare because it's it's the biggest item in the budget? Yeah, look, it is, uh, and I alluded to that originally, and look, I think the government uh, would be fooling itself uh, if they thought that there's not going to be a few avenues that they're going to have to look for efficiencies down on, uh, and the reality is uh, when you have to do that, uh, you start looking at some of your bigger price tag items first. But I do think there's a couple of other ways uh, they can generate revenue in the province. Uh, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, some alluding to gaming, or how to modernize that in the budget, uh, whether it be with sports betting or, uh, you know, uh, perhaps an expansion in that sector. They can make the province a little bit more of an attractive place to invest, obviously, uh, more business coming into the province, more taxation. Um, so I think they'll be really picking their brains hard about where revenue generation can come from in the provincial coffers, because the reality is finding efficiencies and streamlining and eliminating red tape only going to do so much. You've got to start bringing more money in the door, too. Well, yeah, that's right. And, you know, they keep saying, uh, first they said no jobs will be lost. Then they say only frontline jobs uh, will, frontline jobs will not be lost. And when you start cutting jobs, there are big severance bills. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, do you see this as a distraction, Kim? Absolutely. What you never want to be the premier of cuts. Uh, you know, especially on frontline workers, because, gosh, this premier loves nurses and doctors and firefighters and everyone else. Uh, but 
he's creating policies that whether he meant them to or not have have and will continue to result in frontline services being cut now are there things that can be recalibrated within you know the ministry of health to allow for better innovation of course there are but that doesn't change the fact that patients need to be cared for and people need to be front and center of that that care model uh, what we've what we what their concerns about really is where the premier and his team tend to take a bit of a chainsaw when a scalpel would have done on some of these programs. Uh, what we, you know, for instance, for instance, uh, you know, when again going back to the autism funding model, well, we're just going to eliminate the wait list entirely. That doesn't change the fact that these these kids and people of all age brackets still have autism and still have needs. So just to say, well, we've eliminated a wait list isn't enough when you don't have the programs and supports in place. That's the kinds of things that we're seeing over and over again. There's things that are great announcements, but there are some things that are concerning. What it was also concerning to me, just from a process perspective, is the premier's office or someone leaking is talking about these stickers that are going to go on to gas pumps. And it's not that they're going to be encouraged to be put on gas pumps, quote unquote encouraged. They're going to be legislatively mandated to be put, uh, that these political propaganda pieces are going to be Do put on. Do you read on. stickers on gas pumps? Who cares? I think when you start mandating propaganda, that's when I have concerns about what is the legislative overreach. And that gets a bit disconcerting when we have a, a, a frankly, a premier with a supermajority that can do, can do what they want. But with great responsibility comes great consequences in the, uh, it, not to quote uh, Spider-Man, but kind of. Kind of. <laughs> Ali Salam, so we're hearing that they are going to do something to give parents who have big childcare costs a rebate. We don't know the details. It might just be, uh, you know, for those who are very low income, $35,000 a year or less. Uh, and uh, we're just hearing just now in Bob's news that low-income seniors might get free dental care. Are those the kind of targeted measures that you think will tone down criticism? So I think, I mean, and, and as you've said, it's kind of new news, and so we don't have all the details, and we won't really until the budget is read um, later this week. But I think, you know, perhaps the seniors' piece, if it is as it sounds, uh, will certainly uh, be a benefit to many seniors. I think on the other hand, though, rebates around child care is... Uh, you know, if they if they are targeted, I mean, I think we all agree that those in most need should obviously um, be able to receive the greatest benefits. So I don't think anyone's going to object to um, their inclusion at that level. I think the challenge will be that perhaps these um, childcare rebates will not go far enough for um, many of the people that voted for uh, for the premier, and so they'll be left wondering what's in it for them. And uh, and and obviously there's the um, ideological difference between actually providing a service through the government versus, um, you know, offering a tax rebate for it. And, uh, and we've seen that, obviously, in the, you know, in the traditional ways that uh, liberals and conservatives view these issues. Um, bringing it back to healthcare, though, I think, uh, I think that, you know, the premier is really going to be looked at to see um, where these policies net out. We'll, we're all aware, and, and certainly something that caught the media, uh, the media and the public's attention this last week was, uh, you know, reports around the fact that there maybe changes to, uh, you know, procedures and, and uh, what was covered under, you know, for example, related to colonoscopies and whether or not there would be sedation uh, removed as an option. Now, we've since heard that that's not the case. That was a draft right. that, you know, was not 
um, was not going to see the light of day. They did get out, and to Kim's point, I don't know if it's a leak or if it's, you know, where that came from. But at the same time, um, I wouldn't think that's to, a strategic leak because it, it, it might certainly. have been a trial balloon more than yeah. anything. And so, and so, you know, I think Ontarians are kind of paying close attention, and things like that have really caught their caught their ear, if you will, to see, you know, well, what's in this and how and, is that going to affect me? It's interesting that you're talking about colonoscopies because the recommendations from medical authorities for those have changed. You know, for years we heard, okay, uh, you got to get this when you turn 50, and then I forget how often, but uh, the recommendations have changed so that they want people to do, uh, I guess, less invasive tests that are cheaper. And there are, and- there are certainly some tests that, uh, that under the previous government they started to look at in terms of, dr- um, blood tests and those types of things. But there are all sorts of things around the body of evidence of the science of, of colonoscopies and mammograms and, and all of it that continues to evolve. And I think it uh, it behooves governments to actually pay attention because the more you can be on the preventative side of things, the less expensive and less invasive right, it gets. Right, we, but we're also doing, we over-test. And that, that's been proven and, and there's science and studies having, around that. Having watched uh, a very dear loved one die of colon cancer. I don't know that I, I believe that there is necessarily an over-testing of these things. I think that, as with everything, the more preventative we can get, which is actually why I'm kind of interested and excited to see the details on the seniors' dental care. Oral health is one of those predictive measures, and if you get to those problems early, uh, it actually stops a whole host of other more serious health problems, which is actually, you know, not to say Andrea Horvath might have been right during the last election by opening up the whole conversation around dental care, but it is an important first step that we start to make sure that oral health is taken care of, especially uh, when you start to see some of the horrific damage that comes in head and neck cancers and oral cancers that could be seen early on. And let's be clear, especially people who don't have benefits, and I'm I'm an entrepreneur, I have my own business. I was at the dentist last week. It was pretty expensive just for a checkup. But for me, it was so important to make sure that my oral health is taken care of. But I have the luxury of being able to afford that. If I'm a low-income senior, if I'm someone with uh, small children, I don't have, you, pe- most people don't have that luxury of being able to do that. I think the government really does need to look at what does that look like in the broader conversation around healthcare. Well, and it's interesting that a lot of emergency visits relate to uh, dental care, oral care, and, you know, if they are really committed to ending hallway medicine, this will be a taking good those, step. Taking those types of things off of uh, off of the emergency room system absolutely will be helpful. They shouldn't be in an emergency situation, emergency room situation, but that's how you actually get the services that you need because you can't afford them. Okay, Ashton, you know, there there is there's different ways to spin some of these cuts. So, with the teachers, right? They're, they will, uh, you know, have about 3,400 teachers over four years gone by attrition. Now, the teachers unions are spinning this as a big cut. It's going to hurt children. And people who are conservative are saying this is a very small amount in the context of 129,000 teachers, and we have to modernize the way things are done. So how do these two kind of views wore it out and balance? 
Well, unfortunately, it's a philosophical argument as much as it is a political one. Uh, the facts uh, that you write are right. Um, they're going to go at this through attrition. Uh, and the reality is it's a very small percentage of the overall teaching payload in the province of Ontario. However, uh, teachers, uh, just like nurses, uh, just like doctors, just like firefighters, are a mobilized group, uh, and they have individuals who are speaking on their behalf. I think everybody agrees that that's a good thing. However, we have to parse through both sides of the argument here. Uh, the reality is we are, uh, we are over-leveraged in terms of what the educational expenditure is. Uh, and how do you go about addressing that? Well, uh, in my world, uh, or at least in my viewpoint, I would like to be able to say that I'm not going to take people out of their jobs and, you know, put them on the street. Instead, uh, once positions become available and they're no longer deemed as required or surplus, then we can go ahead about eliminating them then. And I think the government's making a very tactile approach and, and choice uh, by, you know, not sort of swinging the cleaver, uh, which is theirs to swing, frankly, uh, harder than they are, uh, because they realize that it is a sensitive issue. It's a sensitive issue for parents, sensitive issue uh, for those in the education system. Uh, all of us took part in it at one point or another. Um, and I think with respect to how they're approaching this currently, it's the right one. And I'll be interested to see if there's any more details about that in the budget. Okay, speaking of, of cuts, Keith in Stouffville wants to talk about the autism cuts. Hi, Keith. Hi, how you doing, Libby? Fine, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Well, it's not really about that. It's about the, you know, like the deficit and what we pay interest for that. We would have all sorts of money for these different programs, all sorts of money. We're paying interest on that. What does that not lady understand about that? The one that's saying, you know, well, you know, they had to cut this or they're going to cut that or, you know, teachers are not going to get hired as they retire which is, I think, is a good good thing. As a matter of fact, I think that Tim Hudak wanted to do that, and of course he got raked. Over he said the he wanted like to he... lay off a hundred thousand people. There's no, no universe. Lay off hundred. He wanted not to hire people. No, I think he wanted to lay them it, off. It was pretty clear about no, the cut of a hundred thousand jobs. You better check on that because that's what the left wing media had to say. Because of course they didn't want anybody conservative in there. But, you know, you're Matt, the guy that made the last comment, he makes the most sense, okay? Okay. Okay, thanks, Libby. <laughs> thanks, Keith. Bye-bye. It's interesting, Bye-bye. Libby, when people talk about deficit funding, part of that is the infrastructure costs uh, that we have in Ontario. Roads, bridges, sewers, recreational centers, libraries, all of these things that are very expensive to build subways. Subways, subways, subways. <laughs> All of these things are very expensive to build and, co- and are, frankly, are generally are borne by higher orders of government like the province or the federal government because they can actually afford it and they can amortize it. So not all deficits are a bad thing depending on what you're getting out of it. Again, I say, show me your, show me your budget. I'll show you your values. I understand. Well, uh, or one of Another thing that I've been hearing about this budget is that there will be a very large amount for subways. Uh, anybody out there, Ashton or Ali, have you been hearing the same thing? I would just take issue with uh, the, the previous comments of Kim. I mean, the, you can have values and you can let the budget say what you might, but reality is the provincial deficit is $315 billion. It's completely unsustainable. And the, the higher debt, it grows, the, debt, not the, the more deficit. we pay to service it. Yeah. $12 billion a year currently, as it stands today. Okay. Uh, so the, I mean, the only comment I would say to Ashton is that 
you know, the provincial debt situation is not like your own household debt. It's very different. And, uh, you know, governments have the ability to leverage uh, those situations in a different way. So certainly there's an ideological perspective around whether or not one should be servicing their debt or focusing on, you know, keeping class sizes smaller or things like that. Ideally, I think all Ontarians want to find a balance in that situation. And I think in large part, that was what cost Kathleen win her government. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think, I think, I think there's no right answer in that sense. It is, it does come down to, you know, one's ideology around whether, uh, whether it's debt servicing or, you know, focusing on programs and, and spending. Okay, let's hear from Rudy in Toronto. Hi, Rudy. Hi, uh, Libby and, and other folks that are with you. Uh, yes, what I'm concerned about is that uh, when the Ford government puts through this budget, they are going to underhandedly sneak in another bill. I don't know how they do this because it has nothing to do with fiscal policy, but uh, they they want to set up a hunting season to uh, kill uh, cormorant birds uh, throughout Ontario. Uh, there is no hunting season for them now, and, the, and they plan to allow hunters to shoot up to 50 birds a day, and I think that's uh, going to be a horrible slaughter. If that that where where did you hear that? Uh, the Animal Alliance of Canada is is following this uh, um, this plan. Okay, uh, uh, we're we're going to have to check that. I don't think any of us have heard that, but uh, thanks for putting it on our radar. Anybody heard that? I haven't heard that. Heard that, but the budget's a policy document, yeah. so you know Inle- it's not necessarily outside of the realm of something that could be in there. Unless they're trying to announce it through, you know, the setting up the program and the cost measures around that. Uh, but the budget is going to be all sorts of interesting thing to all sorts of interest groups that the that uh, the premier needs to woo back if his polling numbers are going to rebound post the autism funding. Okay, let's hear from Sharif in Mississauga. Hi, Sharif. Hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? Oh, not too bad. <clears throat> I want to talk about dental. Anybody that brings in dental, they're going to get my vote. Because dentists in Canada, they're the biggest rip-off to the public in Canada. In 55 years, I ran into an honest dentist in Scarborough. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's not, I mean, dentistry is expensive. Dentists go to school. We agree it's expensive, but that doesn't mean they're dishonest. They're I mean, not honest. I'm telling you the truth. The dentist, what I had before in Mississauga, I don't want to mention the name. She destroyed my teeth till I woke up. There was nothing wrong with my teeth. Every time I go see her, oh, you have cavity. Oh, you have this. Then I realized that my gosh, she's destroying my, my teeth. I went to dentist in Scarborough just recently, a couple of weeks ago. I had a tooth problem. And I went, she took x-ray, never charged me for x-ray. He said, no, the tooth is beautiful. Just ring with the salt and warm water. I did a couple times, and thanks God my tooth is okay. I'm glad to hear your tooth is okay, Sharif. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting, because if we had to pay for our health care, we'd know that it's expensive. But we don't notice, because there's a single-payer system here. I think, and, I think we know that our healthcare system is, is expensive. We only have to look to our friends and neighbors to the south to see those types of uh, see these types of things. But again, it, it goes back to a value proposition. I have family who lives in New Orleans, and uh, I, you know, they had a daughter who didn't do so well in the beginning stages of her life. 
I don't know how they would have afforded that uh, as well had they not had the proper insurance programs. Um, it, it is it is frightening to me what that could look like. I am grateful that when my mother and father were ill that we could afford to have them ter- taken care of and by some of the best doctors in the world and didn't have to shell out our credit cards for it. Yeah, well... Yeah, I, I would agree. Completely agree with Ali on this. Who had a, had the comment earlier that you know, in a world of finite resources, you want to make sure that they're properly allocated to those who need the most. Uh, and I think in this case, it makes perfect sense. And so uh, we have to wrap things up, Ashton. Uh, what else should we be looking for on Thursday? I'm really looking at the plan and the trajectory of getting back to balance, whether it'll be four years, whether it'll be eight years, whether there's something in the books that we're not aware of. Maybe it'll take even longer, maybe not as long as people were thinking. Uh, for me, that's really going to set the policy direction for the government over the next three years. Uh, if they extend the timeline, for example, on when they'll return to balance, it means they'll have a little bit more latitude to spend and fund additional programming. Or if they're going to be very, uh, you know, very restrictive uh, in their approach and you know, try to speed up the timeline on balancing, it means they're probably going to have less money to spend and harder choices will have to be made. So the timeline it takes for them to get back to balance is going to dictate just about everything else in the rest of the mandate for this government. Ali? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, usually governments uh, in their earlier budgets and their mandate, are that's that's when they make some of the tougher choices because I get freeze them up to, uh, uh, to you know, sprinkle the goodies on the electorate come uh, closer to election time. And so I think, you know, if we're going to see uh, the manifestation of tough choices by, uh, by Premier Ford, then, uh, then that's going to come now. And so, again, uh, as I said earlier, it's going to be about education and health care for most people. Kim? I'm hoping maybe it's maybe it's a bit more wishful thinking. I'm hoping that there is a rational approach to both efficiencies, quote unquote, however they wanted to find that, but also balancing that into what has innovation allowed us to do? What do people actually need? And also keeping in mind access to services are very different in downtown Toronto than they are in northern Ontario and rural and remote communities and even in small towns. So keeping in mind that a one size fits all approach to any of these policy discussions won't work. And if it's just going to be gimmicks and changing the three men in a hot tub logo, <laughs> then I think we need to really re- reconsider how this new government is really looking to, uh, to to deliver on any sort of mandate. Okay, people, we have to wrap up this segment. If we couldn't get to your call, Free For All Friday is coming up on Friday, and it will be our first show after the budget. So uh, please get ready to call back then when we see what is exactly there. In the meantime, thank you so much to Ali Salam from National Public Relations, Ashton Arsenault from Crestview Strategies, and Kim Wright from Wright Strategies. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Libby. Thanks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.